Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Um, hi, this is For the Girls Podcast. I'm Nick Westrate. I'm Jason Block. This is the podcast where uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, every kind of queer person gets together to celebrate their iconic female performers known as divas. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, as you know, sometimes it's going to just be Nick and I talking. Sometimes we have a guest talking about their diva. And sometimes, very rarely, we have a special, special episode for you. That's right, because this is our 100th episode. This is part two of our 100th episode, Celebrating 9 to 5. We have a special diva on our show this week, Patricia Resnick, who actually wrote 9 to 5. Hi, Pat. That's right. Hello. Here I am. I've never been called a diva before, at least not to my face. <laughs> well, oh, well, the well, technically one. you're not being called a diva to your face. Okay. Uh, we're being called a diva to the computer screen, but you are ab- an absolute diva to us, Pat. Uh, we adore you I- and your work. <laughs> Thank you very much. Pat, you're from uh, Florida originally, I think. Is that right? I am. Born and raised in Miami Beach, oddly enough. Did you, growing up, did you have uh, divas or were you a super fan of anybody when you were young? Yes, absolutely. So I was completely obsessed with um, show business from very, very early on and um, movies and uh, books were, were my escape. And as far as Let's see, who did I love? There were a series of people. So um, Julie Christie, Mm. uh, who I had just a crazy crush on. And I did eventually, it's funny, a lot of the divas that I looked up to, a number of them I did get to meet eventually. I did get to meet Julie Christie briefly when she came to visit uh, Robert Altman uh, on the set of Three Women. And who else did I love? I, I actually, Jane Fonda which is sort of funny. Um, uh, Anne Bancroft. Uh, I had, this one's really weird. I had a very big thing about Angela Lansbury. (gasps) So do we. we. She's she's one of our goddesses. Oh my God. So I met her when I was 14. I was going to boarding school in New York and I saw Mame and I was obsessed with it. And Ah. I was obsessed with the book and the movie and her And I went home over the summer, and this was, of course, way before the internet or anything that made research easy. But I went to the main library in Miami, and I found all these old articles on her and uh, Xeroxed them. And then I went back to see the show again when I got to New York, and I sent a note back 
And I had these articles and I met her and we sort of became friends. Oh my God. And we corresponded for years. And then many years later, I re-met her when she was doing Sweeney Todd. Um, and she remembered me, which is crazy. And I ended up writing um, a TV movie for her. What one? It didn't get made. Oh, okay. As most things don't. Oh, wow. So but do you think... It was pretty cool. As her pen pal, do you think that sometimes... Do you ever watch Murder, She Wrote, and think she might be uh, typing a letter to you at the beginning during the opening credits? <laughs> Too bad. Uh, dun, no, dun 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 no, dun. No, what I do think is, uh, what an odd, what an odd person for me to have a, for me to have a crush on as a fourteen-year-old. Um, but I also, I always say that I'm a gay man in a lesbian's body because, <laughs> a, a, like, I loved all the standard divas. Like, um, I loved Judy Garland, and I loved Marilyn Monroe, and I loved, you, you know, I. I don't know what was, and I can't do anything with tools. So yeah. <laughs> you've come to the right place. <laughs> do you think, do you think it was Angela Lansbury's, uh, what do you think? Was it just the charisma that attracted you her, her brightness? You know, there was something about her to begin with in, in, in Auntie Mame. I mean, I, I had a whole thing about Auntie Mame. I, I think I wished that I had wished that, you know, I had an Auntie Mame. Um, and, uh, you know, she was so amazing on stage. And, and then once I became interested, um, then I started trying to watch, you know, everything I could find that she was in, which at that point was just a lot of old movies. And then I discovered what an incredible actress she was in, you know, everything from the original Manchurian Candidate to one of the very first things she was in a movie with, a Ingrid Bergman called uh, Gaslight, mm, which is where the right. word Gaslight comes from. Um, and uh, yeah, I just uh, I just became really uh, obsessed with her. The other day, my boyfriend asked me, he was like, what does the word Gaslight actually mean? And I sat him down and made him watch that entire film. <laughs> I am extremely impressed that you know about the film, given, oh. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing by the sound of your voice that that you're what in your thirties? Yeah, we're both in our thirties, but I had a big classic movie education growing up and I love that movie so much. And we've both been obsessed with Angela Lansbury and similarly to you have gone back and watched all of her, her hits from the, the 1940s. That's, that is so funny. Mm -hmm. That's so random. Oh, we treat her like a god on this. I mean, we have a whole, we, we break down an episode for like two hours of the murder she wrote, and we treat it as if we're reading the Bible. Yeah, I we, mean, it's a series yeah. we have on the show called My Favorite Murder She Wrote. I actually referenced it. I worked on a, um, I worked on a show for Netflix a couple of years ago that was a, a, a contemporary sequel of Tales of the City. Mm-hmm. And in my episode, um, there's a, a older, younger couple, and they're they're kind of introducing two men. They're introducing each other to, you know, things that they're obsessed with. Um, and the older guy, the thing that he introduces the younger guy to is Murder She Wrote. <laughs> yes, oh, a fan slip in. That's called a fan slip in. <laughs> a fan slip in. Okay. And that's actually how we know, how we got in contact with you through our mutual friend Jen Silverman. 
love Jen. So yes, that's yes, where we met. Everyone should buy Jen's new book. It's called We Play Ourselves. This is a shameless plug for my friend's book. <laughs> and her original and her and her book of short stories, The Island Dwellers. Oh, it's fantastic. So good. She's yeah. she's she's brilliant. So you so after Florida, you went to California, right, to study uh, for college. Uh, I went for my last two years of college. Yeah, and and there you met a young filmmaker, just like someone we probably have never heard of, called what was his name? Robert Altman. Bateman. Yes, yes. Altman. <laughs> he wasn't that young. <laughs> I think he was already 50 when I met him um, or in his 50s. But yes, I um, I was going to USC. Um, I, I was a junior and I uh, because I was obsessed with with show business, uh, when I would drive around L.A., anytime I saw that they were filming anything, um, as opposed to my children who grew up here, who could care less when they're filming things. But I was very excited. And so I'd always pull over and, 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 you know, go to see what it was. And, and it happened to be a movie called California Split that Robert Altman was directing. And um, I waited, he was in a building and I waited on the sidewalk till he came out. And I told him I was going to write, write a paper on him for um, a class I was taking at USC. And I asked him if I could interview him for the paper. I was very, very, very ballsy or eggy. Hmm. Um, and, uh, he said, okay. And I interviewed him and then I worked unbelievably hard on the paper, dropped it off. And he called me a couple of days later and he said, um, this is like the best thing that was ever written on me. I think he said that cause it was very complimentary and, uh, um, yeah. And he wanted me to come to work for him and it took about a year you know, for that to happen. But right after I graduated, I was able to go to work for him. And then you did a pass on, I mean, talk about divas. I coming from New York, I was like, uh, and moving to LA, I, I was obsessed with making sure I had yellow furniture in my house. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I was just one of a thousand people trying to be cool because they watched three women once. That's so funny. And you did a first draft on that, right? So I did not, I, they, they never went, he never went to script. Uh, what I did was the treatment for it. Okay. Um, because it was, it was based on a dream he had. And so, wow. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't worked out. It was a dream. Um, and I, I did the, I did the treatment and then he had promised me if the treatment got Fox to finance it, I could do the script. And then he decided not to go to script. So, uh, does that that mean, does that mean that the film was mostly, uh, improvised? Yes. Wow. I mean, I just, I think we all were spending a lot of time with Shelley Duvall recently because of that, uh, article in the Hollywood Reporter, and it seems like from what she said that that was an incredibly intense shoot. So I, uh, you know, he, once he decided not to go to script, there was really nothing for me to do because, uh, you know, I was, I, I kind of worked for him. Um, and, and, you know, once he was going to be on set, if I wasn't going to be writing, he didn't really need me. Right. So he let me go, but he felt badly about it. And so he, he, 
he told me that I could, you know, he would use me as an extra in it for a few days to, so I could make, you know, make a little money because I was like 23 years old and self-supporting. Um, wow. So I, wa I was only on the set, I think I was there for about three days. And if you want to talk about divas in sort of a negative way, <laughs> uh, I don't even know if you guys know who Janice Rule was. Um, yeah. But, uh, oh, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, long story, but she brought it. She brought that that high diva energy oh, yeah, to three oh, the three women set. Oh my god! I mean, Sissy Spacek and Shelley Duvall are two of the nicest, most down to earth, loveliest women in the world. Both of them, um, and you know, I've known, I knew them on and off. I haven't seen either of them in years, but I knew them on and off for you know, many years, Shelly and I actually, um, became friendly. I worked on a the fairy tale, right? Yes. I did one of the first fairy tale theaters, wow. ah. which by the way, and Bancroft, one of my major crushes. <gasps> um, so she was cast as the, uh, in Hansel Gretel, she was cast as the, uh, in a dual role, role as the, uh, stepmother and the witch. And I was, so unbelievably excited because I mean the graduate's probably my favorite movie and I had such a thing about her and and she came to the table read and she was wonderful and lovely and you know we had a couple of rehearsals and then she got um mono oh no and dropped out and was replaced by Joan Collins who was a nightmare oh no nightmare so I always say it was literally the sublime to the ridiculous <laughs> oh what a bummer but you yeah, did but you did end up working uh writing two more films for robert altman correct uh yes yes i worked on two two more films for him um so what happened was um you know after he didn't you know after he didn't do the script for three women um when I went on those few days to be an extra, he, you know, called me aside and he said, you know, I'm working on another movie called The Wedding and I really want you to be, you know, it's going to have 50 characters. I need multiple writers. I really want you to be a writer on it. And he said, I, I know I kind of screwed you over. Um, I know I promised you the script for three women and I know I kind of screwed you over but I promise, promise, promise you, if you go to work on this, um, you know, I promise you'll get to write on it. And I said, I, you know, I, I really need to, cause I, I need, I need a screen credit and I, I need an agent. And I had been offered at the time, um, to staff write on a Norman Lear show. Oh, cool. uh, but I didn't, I didn't really want to do TV at that time. And so I kind of went back and forth and I decided to take a flyer on, on Altman. And, um, this time he was true to his word. So I was one of three writers on a wedding and, uh, got to be on set the whole time, which I always say Altman's sets were like, um, sort of, uh, summer camp for adults. Oh. Uh, they were absolutely wonderful. I had an incredible time and learned, learned so much being on set every day, watching him. 
and that was that was a wedding, right? That was, that was the first. Yep. And then I, I we're just gonna we're just buckle up because we're just gonna ask you about every credit you've okay. ever done because okay. I gotta know because that same year you you wrote on the share special, right? In seventy eight. I did. I did. I wrote on two share specials. Oh, oh my god. god. Ah, we're screaming. <laughs> yeah. Uh so um somehow, I don't remember how. So this was back in the the 70s were like seriously the party days. Um, mm. And it was really fun. Um, there was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of cocaine use, but it hadn't turned dark yet. Um, people were having an excellent time. There were parties every weekend. And somehow I met um, a guy named Sandy Gallen who managed, uh, you know, half of the divas in town, including um, Cher and uh, Dolly. And I don't even remember who else. Uh, lots and lots and lots of people. He had the best parties ever. Um, anyway, um, he, so I have to back up. When I was working for Altman early on, I was very young. I was 22. And now there's a lot of very young, very successful people. But back then, that was not so much the case. So um, I was sort of, Altman called me the kid. Um, it was a little hard for me to be taken seriously. And I had written a spec script I kept trying to get him to read, which I could not get him to read. <laughs> um, and then um, he produced a movie called The Late Show, uh, having nothing to do with The Late Show now, that starred Lily Tomlin um, and Art Carney, who was in The Honeymooners back mm -hmm. in the day. And uh, Altman was out of town, so I had nothing to do. So I started going hanging out on the set. And uh, Lily was improving a lot of her dialogue and would ask people on the set, you know, she'd kind of call out to the room, what can I say here? And um, I just started, you know, calling out suggestions. And eventually she she was using a lot of them. And so she wanted to see who, who that was. And we became friendly and she asked me to write um, a sketch for her because she was gonna do a Broadway show and so I wrote a sketch and she really liked it. And then she had me write another one. And eventually they both ended up in her first Broadway show appearing nightly. Altman went to see that. And then he said, oh, the kid can write. So that, wow. okay. So that's what led to that. Um, and then going to the share special. So what happened is because I had written those pieces for Lily and because all the divas all knew each other, um, suddenly, you know, uh, you know, I got a phone call from Bette Midler, <gasps> by the way, mm -mm. it was her, no. it was during the Super Bowl. I was like, what idiot is calling me? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then when the person said, hi, it's Bette Midler, I for sure thought it was a friend of mine. <laughs> um, you know, and I was like, okay, who is it? Come on. And she's like, no, no, it's Bette, it's Bette Midler. And I, I, <laughs> anyway, um, she had me write a piece for, she did a concert film called Divine Madness. Yes. Um, oh my God. Yes. Um, which basically got cut other than one line. But um, Which but, line? Yeah, what was the part? Oh God, I mean, it, uh, literally I got one line in the divorce. Still re I think I have a line, I have always been, I've always been a mermaid. I think that was my entire 
That's it. Oh, oh, so she had she had she was trying to get you to write for Dolores. The Dolores yeah, second. yes, yep. yes, yes. And I, mm-hmm. and, you know, the thing was, I wrote for Lily, but I I was not a great sketch writer um, in terms of jokes. I, like I'm not a joke writer. I can write character right. pieces, sketches that are funny, but. Anyway, um, act is a lot more. Uh, she's a lot more sticky and less realistic than a Lily Tomlin show. Yes, and it's joke. I mean, it's like Bruce Valanche. I mean, he's great jokes. Capital you know, J I mean, jokes, jokes. Yeah. Yes, that's not. Uh, I'm not good at that. So anyway, uh, but the share specials. So Sandy Gallen, um, you know, I guess knew I did the stuff for Lily, and so he asked me to write um, for shares for special. And the guest star was going to be Dolly Parton, which is how I met Dolly. But I only was brought in. I was not a staff writer. I was just brought in to write a the sketch for whoever the guest star was and share. So I wrote a sketch for them, which went fine. And I got to be on set and I met Dolly and, you know, that was great. And by the way, as far as like the list of good divas, share was fantastic. Mm. super down to earth, just, just amazingly wonderful person. You know, she was the person that if you ran into her at a party years later, um, instead of looking over your shoulder to see who was more important in the room, which would be almost anybody who's more important than a writer, she actually would remember you, would talk to you. I mean, she was great. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and it went really well. And then, um, I do have a very funny story about the second special, which was Karen, uh, uh, Sharon, uh, Kate Jackson, but it's a little long. Oh, give it to us. Come on. It's our hundredth episode. Come on. You can cut it. You can cut it down or whatever. Okay. So, so, so the next year it was the next special and it was Sharon Kate Jackson and they were best friends. And Kate Jackson was at the time, um, quite famous from, um, Charlie's angels, the, original TV show mm-hmm. and I wrote a sketch for them. <clears throat> and um, the next thing I know, I, I got a call from the producer's um, assistant and she said, the director and producer need you to meet them today at Lucille's house. And I said, Lucille, it was a two person sketch. It was Cher and Kate Jackson. And I said, Lucille, <laughs> Lucille who? And she said, did I wake you up? And I said, you did. But even if I was wide awake, I I don't know what you're talking about. She said, oh, no one told you? Um, Oh, my God. uh, Kate got mad at Cher and she quit the show. And I said, okay. Uh, She said, so we need you to go over to Lucille Ball's house. Oh, my God. So first of all, I was, okay, so you're replacing Kate Jackson who was, I don't know, 30 at the time. <laughs> Ball, who was like, you know, uh, pushing 80 maybe. Oh, fuck. Um, but uh, her son, um, Desi Jr., had been in a wedding and he was very, very nice. So I was, you know, I was kind of, this is this will be fine and this will be cool. I'll get to meet Lucille Ball. That's cool. So I go over to the house and... Um, it was very rough. It was very, very rough. She, uh, you know, 
she wanted to, she kept firing questions at me, which really had nothing to do with me. So it was things like, you know, she wanted to know if they were going to shoot in front of a live audience. Uh, I said, I didn't think so. <laughs> uh, said, well, you can't do comedy without a live audience. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm just writing the sketch. There's the director and the producer. Right. You know? I'm not the network, Lucy. I'm not the network. Uh, she was tough. She was very tough. Um, but was, at any rate, um, was she just smoking a million cigarettes the whole time? I, she was smoking a million cigarettes. Yes. Um, I believe she'd had a couple, she had a couple of drinks. Yes. I, I think this was like at 11 AM, 11 AM. Just exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, was it 10 AM? Was it 11 AM? Yeah. And then by this time, you know, her voice had gotten very, very low from, oh. I think all the years of smoking. Well, that main level voice when she did the film instead of Angela. Yeah, it was down here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, the the sketch had a lot of uh, lines from famous movies in it. And uh, one of the lines was from, uh, you couldn't do this anymore, but it was from Gone with the Wind. <laughs> and it was Butterfly McQueen who had a very, very, very high voice. Yes. And so Lucy was like, you got to take out the butterfly McQueen light kid. I, you know, I can't get the voice up there anymore. Oh God. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I rewrote it for Lucy and Cher. And then a few days later I got another call and they said, um, okay, you can put the butterfly fly McQueen line back in, but you need to take out the Poseidon adventure reference. And I said, why? And again, they said, oh, didn't anyone tell you? Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, so Lucille decided that the occasion of her and Cher um, being together for the first time on TV was like so momentous that the sketch was not, you know, I don't know, momentous enough. And so they were doing a different sketch. And she was being replaced by Shelley Winters. Oh my God. Nick, I'm Nick. currently reading Shelley Winters' memoir, Pat. This is very. Oh, she was a piece of work. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, you know, I rewrote it for Shelley Winters, and then they wanted me to be there when they were shooting it. And it was literally like a three minute sketch. And um, at that time, uh, Shelley Winters had. She had. I think she had gotten injured. I think she went to step out of a trailer and they didn't have the stairs. And she oh, <laughs> like really hurt herself. And anyway, she was on a lot of pain medication. Oh. And consequently, she could not memorize the three minute sketch, but she also wouldn't use cue cards because she That's had two yeah. It took, I think, eight, eight hours to do the three minute sketch. <laughs> and of course, it was terrible, and that was the end of uh, that was the end of me writing. For it's amazing to think that anything can just get done in that world. That anything can actually be produced and happen. Oh my god! Well, I think it's worse now, honestly. Really, you think it's like even harder to to pull yeah, something out? Yeah. It shouldn't be because there's so many more venues as far as television, but right. I think getting things made is, it's always been hard, but I think it's gotten harder. Hmm. Hmm. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so I know we might be skipping in the time. No, we're not. We're only two years away from the timeline. Speaking of things that were maybe hard to get made, I mean, when I watched 9 to 5 yesterday, I was just so stunned that that movie was made in 1980 or at all, frankly, because it's so modern, it's so transgressive and it's so funny can you just how how did you get it made (laughs) actually uh, that movie was really easy to get made and it happened faster than i think anything i've ever worked on um uh so first of all jane fonda was attached from the beginning um because she's the one that wanted to make a movie about clerical workers um and she wanted it to be a comedy and she was um you know, she was a very big deal at the time. Uh, she was, I think she was one of the first actresses that was getting a million dollars a movie Wow! back then. And um, so she was a big deal. Um, we had parts for Lily Tomlin and Dolly Parton, who we didn't know that we were going to get, but we talked to all the way along and, um, you know, we're, we're, pretty hopeful we would get. And if we didn't, we had a backup cast in mind, which was uh, Carol Burnett and, and Margaret. Oh my gosh. Wow. Carol Burnett. Cause you worked with Carol Burnett. I on, worked with Carol Burnett on a wedding. On a wedding. Right. Also lovely. Oh, is mm. she fat? She just had a birthday. She, I think she was just 80. I saw. Yeah. Uh, 88 like this week. Um, mm. Who produced the musical nine to five had something on his Facebook. For her anyway she she was terrific but anyway so it was a comedy we had jane fonda uh it was not going to be tremendously expensive uh we had uh probably hopefully dolly and lily and and jane's former agent and one of her best friends paula weinstein was um an exec at fox 20th century fox so we were initially pitching it to like her best friend. Right. Um, and Paula loved it. And then we pitched it to Alan Ladd Jr., who was running the studio, who was called Laddie. And he said, yeah, at least to the script. You know, I did the script. The, the, the hardest thing, uh, the, the toughest thing that we had to deal with was they greenlit it based on uh, one of my drafts, but there was a very short period of time in which we could get the three women together because they had, you know, they had other gigs lined up and we, we were having trouble getting a director. And um, Jane wanted to work with an A-list director, preferably somebody she had worked with before. So, you know, she went to Sidney Pollack and I can't remember who else, but a lot of these guys did not want to be handed, you know, a script, a cast, a start date. Right. Um, I was actually sent to New York at one point to work with Mike Nichols, who was interested. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Amazing. And I got to spend two weeks with him, um, uh, you know, 
rewriting the script based oh. on what he wanted. And actually, I have a quote in his uh, new bio, which is more or less um, what I'm going to tell you guys, which is uh, when we handed it in, the only uh, the only two people that liked the draft were Mike and me. Oh, really? <laughs> Everybody else hated it. They didn't even want to like. They didn't even want another shot at it. But at any rate, we were running out of time and, and we finally ended up there. There had been this guy, Colin Higgins, who who had only directed one other movie, but he had been really, really, really pushing all the way along to to direct it. And and so um, he was hired. And I think from honestly, from the day I met with Jane until the day they started filming the movie was a year, which is so fast. Wow. It's so expertly written, Pat. Like the, I was just marveling at the how subtle the buildup, the exposition is, and how perfectly it plays out. You know, it- I mean, I have to say thank you. I also have to say that uh, although uh, I got sole story credit and shared screenplay credit, uh, a, a lot of what's in the film uh, was Colin. Mm. Um, my, my version was a darker comedy. They actually tried to kill the boss as opposed to having accidents. Right. Yeah. They tried to kill him in, in, you know, funny ways. It was a comedy, but they did try to kill him. And I think everybody got a little scared of that, um, in, in, you know, 1979 when it was shooting, it was a little bit dark. Um, but anyway, uh, so, you know, definitely there are changes. Um, but I think the, the spirit of the piece um, and the story re- remain mine because I was handed, I was just handed a bunch of uh, statistics and articles mm. about clerical workers and, you know, was asked to somehow make a comedy out of it. Did you always have the dream sequences in there or did that get added on later drafts? No, because that replaced them actually trying to kill him. That's what I thought. I was like, oh, I wonder then if this was your way of slipping in uh, actually and giving the demise that you, the fantasy demise. Yeah, no. So, so I had them, um, you know, they did things like, uh, this was back in the day when, you know, if you used an electric shaver, you you actually plugged it in the, the wall. And so I had a scene where he's, you know, he has an executive bathroom and he's shaving and they're, um, they've put water in the bathtub and their plot is that, you know, uh, Lily is gonna um, like run in and knock him into the bathtub when he's shaving and electrocute him. Uh, but uh, he ends up grabbing onto her so they're both being electrocuted. And so of course the women have to come and, you know, and, and separate him. And then they, they convince him that he needs to put on a little weight and they put him on, on a, a cottage cheese and a apple diet and a apple seeds have cyanic acid in them. I had to do a lot of research for this. <laughs> if you eat enough apple seeds, it will poison you. And so they're putting these apple seeds in the cottage cheese to poison him, but he loses two pounds and decides that he looks great. <laughs> and so uh, what happened was, uh, so Colin, whose sensibility, his, his comedic sensibility was, was different than mine. His comedic sensibility was more um, Laurel and Hardy, more slapstick, more right. 
uh, a little bit more cartoony. And so I think Jane had been a little bit nervous about them trying to kill him all the way along. And so Colin pulled that out and then they replaced it with the fantasies. Did they improvise at all during that scene where they're smoking pot? I honestly don't know because he would not allow me to be on the set. Oh, really? Oh. Why is that? As opposed to Robert Altman. That was a that was a pail of cold water over my head. I, I thought everybody was like Robert Altman because that's who I started with. So I was like, oh, no, the writers are always on the set. Um, no. 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 Oh, shit. Um, yeah. Like a lot of directors, he did not want the writer around because he didn't want Sometimes they're worried about, you know, they're worried that the actors might go to the writer and, right, you know, um, and so I was only allowed to, I was allowed to visit one day and that was that. Um, I can tell you, however, that in the musical, um, yes, yes. and in theater, uh, in theater, as opposed to TV and, and movies, movies in particular, because TV, uh, the showrunner who's is often there and doesn't let the actors change everything. But in movies, you're lucky if they say anything that you wrote. But in theater, they're not allowed to change a word. They cannot change a uh to um <laughs> without asking the writer and the playwright. And the playwright is generally there. But I encouraged the I encouraged the actors when we were rehearsing. Uh, that if they wanted to improv during rehearsals um, to feel free. And then I said something I learned from Altman, which was, um, I said, you know, the only, the only two, two rules I have are um, one, I may say to you, no, you know, that line has to be said as written. Um, and the other one is um, I may not be able to explain to you right that second why. Um, and they were very reticent to improv because the theater actors are so trained, you know, not to do that. But eventually I got them to do it. And two of the funniest lines, I think, in the musical, um, Stephanie J. Block improved. Oh, um, wow. And I, you know, they were hilarious. And I put them in and they get gigantic laughs. <laughs> did she, did you get to see her do the share show? I didn't. I was not in New York. She was fucking great. She's she's really talented. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really. it's kind of superhuman what she can do. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I guess anyone is that that can that can do that grueling Broadway schedule is just something. Was it uh, so so beyond that that your word is is law in the theater? How was that transcribing your work? from the film into in into a, a full musical i know you we i don't well i i know did the kids know you worked with dolly parton on the music well dolly parton did the music and the lyrics and i did the book which is the spoken part the play part and a lot of it's pretty similar right um yeah a lot, so a lot of the lines are pretty similar yeah yeah i mean it it's it's similar ish um, you know, we did make some changes. Um, you know, there's things that are different about the stage. Uh, and actually, uh, it was on Broadway in 2009, but it was revived um, on the West End in London um, for the year before the pandemic. And uh, 
Jeff Calhoun, who uh, Joe Mantello directed the Broadway version. Jeff Calhoun did um, the all the tours. He did the U.S. tour and then there was a U.K. tour. And then when we were getting ready to do the West End version, we kind of looked through all the different versions and thought a lot about what had worked and what hadn't worked. And also we were not going to be spending, you know, the kind of money that they did on, on Broadway. So we had to figure out a way to, um, you know, make it for, you know, Broadway had desks going in and out of the floor and a million dollar LCD screen. And um, one of the things we did actually, and it's interesting is we took the fantasies out because we could never make them work. Oh, wow. Um, tried a million different ways on stage and it just on stage it just it just didn't really work and we were really concerned that people would miss them nobody seemed to mm. huh. maybe because of the story the story is so strong you know like that 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 that's what they they latch on to because the, the fantasy sequences are some of my favorites oh they're they're wonderful they're just you know, really tough to do on stage, particularly, I mean, on Broadway, we were able to do, you know, look, we were able to do the little animals, you know, the little birds and the little Disney birds and chipmunks and stuff. We were <laughs> able to do it on the big LCD screen, the million dollar LCD screen, but on tour, you know, if you're mm, touring right. the show, you don't, you don't have a million dollar LCD screen. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we tried it with like stuffed animals. We tried it just was stupid it just did not work and even on broadway we didn't use um uh the jane fonda character which stephanie played we actually did a different uh we did a different fantasy we didn't we didn't do the hunter we didn't do the you know the white right hunter. the annie yeah. oakley kind of thing yeah yeah we didn't do that um so uh, you know and then again on stage you know poor megan hilty who played the dolly part um, we wanted her to uh, be able to use a, 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 a lasso and lasso the boss, like Dolly does in the yeah. movie, with the magic of editing. <laughs> Megan, Megan spent probably an hour every day oh for months with, um, you know, with this guy who was teaching her. And it was so hit or miss. You know, once in a while she'd hit it, and mostly she'd miss it. And so... Yeah, that's... We just couldn't do. You know, there's things we just couldn't do, and it just didn't work. It didn't work as well. It's also, I imagine, that thing of like the theatrical vocabulary of a musical is already so heightened that yeah. to heighten it into this fantasy realm, it's so it's it's an easy juxtaposition in the film in film to to move styles like that, and it makes so much sense and does so much storytelling. Whereas on stage, you're on Broadway, you're already in this hugely heightened thing. There isn't necessarily a higher place to get to. That's very astute. I know you get asked. I know you've been. People are hounding you about this, but uh, you know, the wind is carrying that there's a sequel coming, or a sequel, or a, a up, updated version. I'm sorry to tell you, there's not. No. 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 There was. There was, uh, oh. but I'll, uh, I'll tell you what happened. So, you know, on and off over the years, uh, either I would be contacted about a sequel or I would hear, you know, I don't own the rights to it. So I would hear somebody else was doing a sequel for, for quite a while. Um, Will Smith's company somehow 
um, I guess because they had a deal at Fox, they were going to just remake it with Jada. Um, that ended up not happening. Uh, and I always kind of thought, well, why, why redo it? You know, mm-hmm. it really worked. Why redo it? Um, but then when the whole Me Too thing started happening, um, and suddenly I was getting uh, a crazy number of interviews uh, about the tie-in between Me Too and 9 to 5. And I suddenly started thinking, you know, actually, now would be a good time um, yeah. to do, you know, to do a sequel. And then I started trying to figure out, well, what would that be? And I came up with an idea, which would basically start with three new more diverse young women in the workplace of today, which by the way, in many ways is worse. I know. I know. Of back then, uh, for all kinds of reasons. Um, and then about halfway through the film, we would bring in Lily, Dolly and Jane and then, okay. So I came up with a, I came up with an idea. Um, I texted Lily, uh, who I, who I remained in contact with. And I knew she, you know, she was doing Grace and Frankie with Jane. And I said, uh, I, I, I think this is the time to do a sequel and I have a way to do it. And can I talk to you guys? And, uh, so they set up a dinner at Jane's and I pitched it to them and they were in, and then they told me to pitch it to Dolly. So I pitched it to Dolly and she was in, I hadn't told my manager or my agent or anybody about it and because I wanted to get the three of them before I told anyone. And then I went to my manager and I said, I have a way to do a sequel to nine to five and I have Lily, Dolly and Jane. What do wow. we do? Now? Wow. And he said, now we get a producer that means something at Fox. And so we got this, this great guy named uh, Sean Levy who directed night at the museum and he came aboard and then I was thinking because I, I, I've been working in TV. Uh, I've been primarily working in TV for years. I hadn't written a, a movie in years and years. And I thought that I would have a better chance of getting it set up if I paired myself with somebody more current in movies and preferably um, someone of color because two of the three uh, two of the three new parts would be women of color. And uh, Jane suggested Rashida Jones and uh, mm. Rashida was super interested and we met and we hit it off and um, we sold it to Fox and mm. we, we wrote it and we handed it in. And literally as we handed it in, Disney was buying Fox. Uh, all our executives left and um disney i don't even think they read it they 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 just got rid of uh, blood was running through the streets of uh of oh, Fox no. they, they got rid of you know most of the stuff that was in um, in development and we can't take it anywhere else because fox owns it so but uh, does now disney own it so now disney owns it but yes now disney owns it but you know the, the well, chances aren't they give it back to us. And on top of that, Jane and Lily didn't really like the script. Oh. So 
there you go. Yes, big sigh. Things but, are you know, impossible to fucking make. God. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough. It feels it's like tough. everything's becoming harder to be creative, like to to be creative and actually make your work and get it out there. It seems it's it's there's this kind of fake sense that oh you can do it now because of Instagram or Twitter or whatever, but really all it is is a bunch of companies trying to get you to make content for free and then not letting you actually produce your own artistic content for money. I, I, I agree. I mean, I think if, you know, uh, I think there's, there's as all, as there always have been, um, there are, uh, you know, some small indie films that are still pretty creative. Mm -hmm. Um, but I always think about the fact that the studio films in the seventies, all those Robert Altman, Hal Ashby, all yeah. those films, <clears throat> those would be indies now. There's no way, you know, major studios would be making them. And, um, and I think, um, unfortunately the, the, the only people that get to be, you know, really creative are, first of all, I think, I think it happens more in television now than in movies. And, um, I think, you know, if you're Shonda Rhimes or you're Ryan Murphy or you're somebody that they're going to pretty much let you do what you want um, because you've got a serious track record, they'll take a flyer on you, you know. So Shonda Rhimes can say, I want to do, you know, a love story set in the 1800s where race is not an issue. And mm -hmm. they'll be, okay, all right, let's, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, and look, it was wildly successful. But I think if other people came in with those ideas, it you know it would be a no. And so much now, they really want you know they want intellectual property. Um, they want to know that there's already an audience, which is why they remake movies, make movies based on books, make right remake TV shows, all of that. Well, I want to fan out to an original project that Nick and I just watched this week. Oh, good segue. I know what you're going to, and Thank I'm excited. You. Go ahead, baby, because you, Nick, you brought this to my attention. And Nick and I were well, just like giddy, Pat, when we found out about this, because we didn't know about this movie, and we were just like, this is everything, and it was. <laughs> and do you think today people would green light a movie where a woman is gets possessed by a silent film star? Uh-huh. Would they greenlight that today? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Honestly, I watched this and I thought, no. I thought, yeah. No one takes adventures like this anymore. No yeah. one takes chances like this on an original screenplay anymore. They just won't. Um. It. It actually was based on a book. Oh. Oh, based on a book. Okay, my bad. Yes, it was based on a book. The book was called, uh, it had a different title. It was called Marion's Wall. It's a wonderful novelist named Jack Finney, who wrote one of my very favorite books, which is called Time After Time. Hmm. Um, and uh, we did go a little, you know, we definitely made some changes. Um, but that was the story of the book. I think you know, I think they wouldn't do it now because, um, first of all, silent movie star, tough sell. Um, <laughs> it's now that many more decades, you know, right. ago. Um, you certainly could, you could update it and make it something else. But they don't really do, you know, ultimately that movie is uh, somewhere between a rom-com and a love story. 
Yeah. Uh, the only place for a long time, they weren't doing them at all. There now is, uh, I think the streamers are, are doing rom-coms again, but yeah, Netflix, Netflix is kind of doing some. Oh, and for yeah. everyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, we're oh, yeah. talking about the film Maxi, which is a movie that Pat wrote that starred Glenn Close, Ruth Gordon, and Mandy Patinkin, uh, and it's from 1985, and it's terrific. Oh, thank you. I mean, Glenn really does play two fully realized different characters in that movie. It's incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah, she, yeah, she did an amazing job, and um, it was also Ruth Gordon's last movie. Oh, how um, incredible to get to work with Ruth Gordon right at the end. She's so brilliant in it. Yeah, yeah, she's really, she's wonderful in it. Um, that movie, that was interesting. So that movie got uniformly terrible reviews. I mean, the reviews were so bad <laughs> that the guy who was the main reviewer at the time for the LA times did a follow-up article saying, why is everybody being so mean to Maxi? Um, oh, no. uh, I mean, they were just brutal. And I think, I think the reason why, listen, at, at, at worst, you know, at worst it's, you know, maybe a somewhat, you know, slightly innocuous, uh, you know, kind of sweet movie, but it certainly wasn't worth people losing their shit over. <laughs> and um, I think what it was, was at the time, Glenn Close and Mandy Patinkin were both considered to be great dramatic actors. And so I think them being in this light comedy um, mm. pissed off the reviewers. Like it wasn't worthy, you know, it wasn't worthy of them. It's so crazy. Cause they get to show off, like looking at it now with posterity, they get to show off these really charming, sexy, playful sides of themselves that they don't really do. Like, I'm sure they love looking back at that movie. Cause they both look fucking gorgeous. Well, you know, it's funny, and I've always really loved her for this. Uh, Glenn Close, after these terrible reviews came out, um, and it would certainly have been easy for her to, you know, blame the writer, blame the director. She actually wrote me and said, um, fuck them. Fuck mm. all of them. It was a wonderful movie. It was a wonderful script. That's what she said. She said it was a wonderful movie. It was a wonderful script. I'll always be proud of it. And fuck them. Fuck them all. I love that, yes. Glenn. And I was like, yeah, Glenn. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. <sighs> oh, I, well, I just loved it. It's, I mean, Glenn Close it's... always being iconic. That's This is our relevant conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn Close still being iconic. I mean, yeah. be, being iconic yeah. as she loses Oscars year after year. It's funny. I got really mad at the internet the other night, which is something I like to do frequently during the Oscars. And I was like, you guys quit like turning Glenn close into some kind of joke. She's one of the most important figures in the history of cinema. And who gives a fuck if she wins the Oscar or she doesn't, she's won so yes. many other awards and made so many brilliant films and just leave her be. I agree. And it's like, wait, what it's, it's a bad thing to have been nominated 10 billion times. 
I know. It's like it shows good enough that yeah. you got nominated that many times. It's interesting. It reminds me kind of of this maxi review situation because it's like everyone wants their own narrative for her. Like at the time of Maxi, they had this dramatic narrative for her that she wasn't fitting. And now they have this whole Susan Lucci narrative that yeah. is just the only narrative that the press or whoever the fuck wants to write, instead of the narrative being like, wow, look at Glenn Close doing this mama thing and being the only worthy thing about that crap movie isn't she amazing yeah and this is a woman who's been nominated you know for oscars over multiple decades yeah and still is and that you know and still just hitting it out of the park every time and the narrative that if you win this reward you continue to be great that's not true she didn't win any and she continues to be great exactly so i think we put a lot way too much basis on that this is this is the achievement for doing something amazing when Glenn Close stays amazing. Everyone go watch Maxi. It's fabulous. Thank you. Yeah, seriously. And I'm sorry about the racist part. That wasn't me. I'm saying this right now. The the Asian stuff, the the director added later when they were filming. Oh really? Nothing, I didn't write it. It had nothing to do with me. Even oh, wow. then I thought it was racist. So I, I, I wash my hands of that. Please don't get angry at me about that. <laughs> Good. I mean, fucking, oh, these fucking directors, but um, there's one more movie, which I just watched this afternoon that I have to talk to you about, which is straight talk. Yes. I just watched it today and it's so fucking delightful and wonderful and such a, a brilliant vehicle for Dolly. And you, you just seem to have the, this incredible relationship with her. And I wonder what it was like writing that for her and tailoring that part to her, you know, particular charms. Um, so it was really interesting that in the first, I did not, I did not originally write it. I rewrote it. I was not the original writer and I had gotten a call um, probably five years before um, I did it for Dolly. And I'd gotten a call, uh, would I rewrite uh, this script for Bette Midler? Hey! Ah, I guess the so rumor is true. I wrote, uh, I wrote, I rewrote the script and I bedded it up. I made the characters <laughs> do that and you know, for whatever reason, I have no idea. I don't remember why. It didn't get made. Okay, most things. Your listening audience, 99% of the things that people get paid to write do not get made. It mm. is not like a super smart business model. Nor do they ever really go back and look at what they already own. Wow. And, and so, you do a lot of that work for free. The development work, there's so much time doing yes. that. Well, first of all, now, I mean, you spend massive amounts of time before you even go in. If you're going to pitch something, you know, the amount of time that you spend before you even go in and pitch it, and you may not even sell it in the first place. And right. you've put in crazy amounts of time. And then even if you get paid to write it, mostly they don't, they don't make it. But Fuck anyway, them Fuck so them all, Pat. They, <laughs> they didn't make it. Okay. You know, I went on to other things and then. I think it was about five years later, I get a call. Um, I think it was Hollywood Pictures, which was a division of uh, Disney that I did a lot of work for. They, they did a lot of the divas. They, they did Goldie and did a lot of the 80s, you know, mm. 
stuff. Anyway, they called and they said, so Dolly is going to do straight talk. Can you unbed it <laughs> and write it for Dolly? So I did. And uh, that one did, did end up getting made. And I did end up being allowed on the set. I was actually on the set for the entire shoot in Chicago. Oh, day, fabulous. Um, which was great. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've said this many times in many places, but Dolly Parton truly is uh, the most generous, lovely, funny, smart. She's, she's just really an extraordinary person. And, and, and it's one of the great joys of my life that I, that I've gotten to, you know, work with her multiple times and, and spend time with her. And a, and a constant worker. I mean, she's, she, listening to her talk about doing the Broadway show with you, how involved she was and how moved she was by it. I'm just like, I have no idea where that woman gets her energy from. It never stops. And I know. It doesn't stop. She's always got 10 million things going on. You know, until the pandemic, she always tours, which is brutal, <clears throat> even when you're young. And listen, she certainly, she, she, you know, she certainly doesn't need to work, but she loves, you know, she loves to work. I just have to give a shout out to this line that's so hilarious, Pat, which is get off the cross, honey. Somebody needs the wood. That's actually like a saying. Is it? Yes. Oh, it's so good. I'm going to say it to my mother from now on. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I actually did a ton of research for that movie to find that one is not a particular Southernisms, but I was, you know, trying to find a lot of Southernisms for, for her to use. The goal of that rewrite, I am at, because now I was watching it, of course, thinking about that, thinking about talking to the writer of it, and then thinking about, oh gosh, I bet all of these jokes, like if Bet was the the doctor talk show host, they were all kind of like brassy Jewish New Yorkisms, and then yes. it had to be turned into you know folksy Southern kindnessisms. Yes, very yeah, very very different. Oh, and I'd love to read that girl, that draft. A Jewish girl from Miami Beach. Uh, my sensibility is probably closer closer to Bet's, but somehow I've always been um, I've I've always been able to to channel to channel Dolly, the Southern girl. Now, this is not a um, professional question, and you know, if, if you say pass, that's fine. But um, I've read that you that you have actually danced with a infamous i'd say first lady <laughs> uh yes that is true a diva i do uh, not enjoy i get it but i'm glad you did it i mean yeah. i i mean I, kind well, of won a win for the team you know i was uh gosh it was uh let's see it was 1985 i was at a big kind of hollywood slash political wedding i was very drunk and Sue Mangers, who was a mega agent, who who Bet actually played, yes, um, in a in a play um, that she was wonderful in. Uh, anyway, Sue Mangers, uh, Nancy Reagan was dancing with the groom. She was the first lady at the time, 
And uh, Sue Mangers said she'd give $500 to anybody who cut in on her. And, uh, <laughs> I thought that sounded, you know, like an easy 500 bucks, which, you know, that was $1985. That was a lot, you know, that was a lot yeah. of money. And um, <laughs> I just went over and cut in. And for whatever reason, she said, okay. And we slow danced to the end of the song. And uh, the funniest part of the story is it, it ended up getting in Liz Smith's column. And by the way, I quit drinking a couple of months after that. And I just celebrated 35 years. Congratulations. Thanks. But it ended up getting in Liz Smith's column. And my mom heard about it. And my mom. My mom called me from Florida and says, I, I heard that you danced with Nancy Reagan. Is that true? And I said, yeah. And she said, how could you do that? You know how we feel about her, about him politically. (laughs) My mother, my mother's like an old lefty. I love your mother. And I love Sue Mangers for giving, did she, did you get $500? I, I actually got $700 because I ended up making an additional side bet um, <laughs> uh, on it was with, uh, Paul Weinstein, who I referenced earlier, was was there and was in the bathroom and missed it and didn't believe it. She thought she thought people were pulling her leg. And so I, I said for $200, I'd take her over to Nancy Reagan and Nancy would tell her. Um, so, yes, I collected it I, and I bought an African gray parrot. Ooh, oh my god i had for many years wow so the money was well used yeah, did you name the parrot nancy right? um, no he no he almost died and he didn't so i named him lazarus oh, oh laz how cute yes, yeah. oh that's great i love that story that's fucking perfect <laughs> pat you've been a total doll for entertaining us with with some of these most amazing stories i want to thank you so much absolutely what's next for you what can what can what can we anticipate i mean like you said i i know you have your hand in in working in so many things but uh so right now i'm um i'm working on a pilot for fx that i'm very excited about it's um so pamela adlon who does this incredible show called better things which i love um, i love i love amazing and i was lucky enough to work on last season um she has now has a producing deal with fx and um they were they bought a memoir by a woman who has an amazing story and um she they they had her sort of try to write the pilot and you know she's just she's not a tv writer it's it's you know just wasn't in her her wheelhouse and so eventually they um after a couple tries they wanted to pair her with a television writer and she and i hit it off and it's pretty funny because it's really got nothing to do with me her her story very briefly is um she's asian uh asian canadian Um, and she was, uh, the first Asian woman in hip hop. Um, she managed a Wu-Tang clan and all these people. And then she started taking Kung Fu and fell in love with the Shaolin monk who was teaching her and married him and had a couple of kids and left the business and managed him in the temple and then when the marriage ended, had had to, you know, was a single mom of two kids and had to 
figure out in her forties what she was going to do with her life. So, um, yeah, so we're working on that. Whoa. Uh, Sophia Chang and, um, which is great. And then I've got a, I've got a script out, um, to actresses, which is, uh, a, a movie for, for the streamers and <laughs> waiting to see what happens which- with that. Oh, we hope you get every project you want done. done. Thank you. I do and, too. And if you don't, oh, I'm just going to take Glenn Close's advice for everyone this week. Fuck them all. <laughs> Got it. Oh, Pat, we hope you have a great um, trip and to visit your family. And thank you for celebrating our 100th episode with us. It's so special. Thank you. All right, Battle Angels. Have a great week. Thank you to Pat Resnick and go everyone go watch Maxi. You have your homework. Bye. Love you. Bye. See you later.